Wow, super sweet to be here today and be with you on a cold day and to be able to sing these beautiful songs and hear our young people sing. What a, what a blessing that was. Thank you so much for bringing a little bit of that experience to us and leading us in worship. And I know that we have, uh, some of us are here just rejoicing today. It's been a good week and a happy week and things have gone well and all is well, and I know some of you are just brokenhearted today because of the loss of loved ones, uh, and we want you to know we love you, and our hearts are with you today, and we trust the Holy Spirit will comfort you greatly today, the presence of his people, like he does. We owe the Lord everything, so I don't want to thank you too profusely for coming to worship. It's what you should do anyway, right? But we do thank you that you've gathered with us today, and we ask the Lord's help now. We'll continue in worship. I want to pray, and we're going to be obviously studying from the, from the book of Luke. Pray with me again. Father, we thank you for these young voices that we just heard. And we thank you for the faith that they have proclaimed. And we pray for each of us that it would be our personal experience, our deep and sweet personal experience that as we walk with you and as we look into your word, I pray that we'd see your, your beautiful face and it would, would be clear to our hearts and that it would, would even change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And then about the year 2003, um, Lois and I and the family had, uh, had accepted an assignment from the Lord to serve in a ministry that was really unusual. It was housed in this big hotel and and the, the entire time we were there, we had to see to it that someone was there at the front desk making sure it was in the city of Flint and downtown. And we always had to make sure that somebody was tending that door 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It, part of me didn't even want to ever go there. You remember that, Lois? And, uh, and part of me really felt compelled like the Lord sent us there. And during the, the year, usually students would, would want to make some money, and we would hire them to work through the night at the desk. We'd have young men that would work the front desk through the night. But during the holidays, the students would go home, and I found myself at the front desk one night, all night. And I, I uh, wasn't sure I, you, you needed to stay awake and, and be alert and keep the building safe. And I was there, and there was a big fireplace in the lobby going, and that night there was a big plate glass, a three-story mezzanine level. You can see this plate glass that the snow started to fall outside, and the fire was burning in the lobby that was all decorated for Christmas. And that night, I had brought a little book with me, and it was a book by a favorite author of mine. You've probably heard me quote before, a fellow named John Piper. He was a pastor at the time up in Minneapolis. And he'd written this book called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, a, a short devotional book that was, each chapter was just arranged something about Jesus. Like one chapter was the joy, the gladness of Jesus. Um, uh, and each of the chapters, just rich devotional. But that, that night, through the night, I, I read that in, entire book, and it was impactful to me. I was reminded of that as I studied this week's text, and I kind of hope that while we preach the text to you 
and as we look at this, that you'll have the similar experience that I had in terms of just having another fresh look at who Jesus is. Piper, in this book there, he said, in this book that I just referred to, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, he said that the created universe is all about glory. The deepest longing of the human heart, the deepest meaning of heaven and earth are summed up in this, the glory of God. The universe is made to show the glory of God. And we are made to see it and savor it. Nothing less will do. Which is why the world is disordered and dysfunctional as it is because we have exchanged the glory of God for other things. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Psalm 19.1 says, and that's why all the universe exists. It's for His glory. It's an essential thing. I'm continuing to quote Piper here. The deepest longing of the human heart is to know and enjoy the glory of God. The deepest longing of the human heart, whether you know this about yourself or not, is to see God, see Jesus, is to see his glory, his beauty, his character. We were made for this. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth who may have created for my glory, who I have created for my glory, says the Lord. To see it, Piper says, to see it, to savor it, to show it, that's why we exist. This is why we were created. That we might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels, that he might make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy. I know it's an extended quote, but he went on to say, the son of, the son of God's glory is made to shine at the center of the solar system of our soul. And when it does, all the planets of our life are held in proper orbit. But when the sun is displaced, everything flies apart. The healing of the soul begins by restoring the glory of God to its flaming, all-attracting place in the center. We are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem. Why do we go? Or to Michiganders, I might say, why would we go look on Lake Michigan? Because we go there because there's a greater healing for our soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. And so it is with God. This is, why, this is why we are investing such time in the study of the Gospel of Luke, because it is a picture of Jesus. It's a divinely inspired portrait of Jesus, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Luke is a witness to who Jesus is. So backing up in the book, one more brief quote, and I'll move away from it. But the reality of the glory of Jesus Christ shining through is in the, his portrayal of the Bible, Piper in his book said, I'm not asking you to pray for a special whisper from God to decide if Jesus is real. Rather, I'm saying, look at the Jesus of the Bible. Look at him. Don't close your eyes and hope for a word of confirmation. Keep your eyes open and fill them with the portrait of Jesus that's provided in the Bible. If you come to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and God, it'll be because you see him in divine glory and excellence that, that, that simply is true. So I know you came thinking about, maybe you were a specially spiritually minded person and you came immediately thinking about Jesus and the glory of God today. Or you might have been thinking about 
whether your car was going to start. Or you might have been thinking about what you were going to eat for lunch. Stop thinking about that right now. Or maybe you were thinking about you're just grieving because of a recent loss in your life. Or maybe you were just afraid. Or, you know, God knows, maybe you struggled hard this week with really sinful lust and failed and gave in. But what I'm getting at is what, what Piper is saying, and the scriptures teach us, is that we were made to think deeply about who Jesus is and who God is, and we see God in the face of Jesus. And so when we study what the Bible teaches us about Jesus, it does good for whatever it is we're facing. It brings everything to the right, brings everything to the center. So you get that. So that's why we're, we're doing what we're doing. And what's interesting is where we are in this uh, book, John is kind of stepping off the stage, and Jesus is stepping into the spotlight. At the beginning of the book, it's like, oh, here's the birth of John the Baptist, and here's the birth of Jesus, and here's the angelic announcement about the birth of John the Baptist, and here's the angelic announcement about the birth of Jesus, and, and these are the songs that spring out of the souls of men when they see that God is up to something wonderful. And then John steps up, and people say to John, are you the Christ? And he says, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. He's going to judge the world, reward and punish. And then he basically steps, especially the way Luke writes it, he just steps away. And then Jesus steps into the spotlight, and we, we're now we're going to hear the stories of, of Jesus. Luke and the Holy Spirit want us to look at Jesus. Something wonderful happens in the human soul when in the deepest part of us, we meditate on who Jesus is. That doesn't mean you can't like sports or that you can't like your hobby or that you can't love being a grandma. It doesn't mean that you can't uh, enjoy um, you know, putting together the things that you like. But it means that everything is like put in orbit around this. Like John, Jesus is the center, and John was an example of that. And so we're, 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 we're looking at Jesus. A.W. Tozer, some of you have read the great uh, a, a devotional writer A.W. Tozer. He understood this well, and he wrote about it powerfully in his classic, The Pursuit of God. There's a whole chapter there you could reread called The Gaze of the Soul. The gaze of the soul. Who is Jesus? Who is Luke going to say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Who is Jesus and why is that important to moderns? So Luke begins in the text we're considering today by really sharing about five witnesses. You could say it in a different way. But the first witness to who Jesus is is, is John testified who Jesus is. John says he's a prophet sent from God. Backing up to verse 16, John answered them all when they said, are you the Christ? John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear this threshing floor and gathered the wheat into his barn and the chaff you will burn with unquenchable fire and whether or not you understand all of that you know that john is referring to something ominous and world shattering no he said i'm not the christ 
and, but he's going to introduce the Christ. So John's objective in his life was not to be famous, but to be faithful. John was a faithful witness to Christ. There's something good about watching how John does that. Not his own message. He didn't have his own message. He came with a message from God. He didn't come promoting his own name. He came promoting the name of Jesus. He wasn't concerned about his own safety or comfort or prosperity like we are so often. He was willing to lay that down. And he was faithful down to his last drop of blood. We'll see that later. He was faithful to his last word. He was faithful to his last breath. And so we should take an example from John and say, God, you're everything. I'm your servant. Help me be faithful to my last breath. Help me be faithful to my last drop of blood. Help me be faithful to my last day, even if nobody even knows me. So John the Baptist, he didn't go around saying, hey, have you guys read the part of me in Isaiah that was a prophecy about me? All the, it's in all the Gospels. You didn't hear John doing that. Uh, I have a sense of humor that I enjoy, even if no one else does. And I got to chuckling about this this week as I studied. John said, he said, I must in, uh, he must increase and I must decrease. J.C. Ryle wrote about a faithful preacher. He said, a faithful preacher will never allow anything to be credited to him or to his office, which belongs to the divine master, to, men, to commend Christ dying and rising again for the ungodly, to make known Christ's love and power to save sinners. This will be the main object of his ministry. He'll be content that his own name be forgotten as long as Christ crucified is exalted. He doesn't have to be remembered. The messenger doesn't even have to be remembered. I talked to a retired pastor this week. He pastored a church. He pastored a number of churches, but one church he pastored, I think, 25 years, very faithfully, and he retired after 25 years, and he went to Florida. He started another church, but I talked to him this week, and, and, I, and I, was, I, I was telling him about how I, parts of his ministry that I admired, he was used of God to build a beautiful church building. That's one of the most beautiful church buildings I've ever seen. Very practical, very functional, very beautiful. He said, oh, I had nothing to do with that. I said, well, I said, well, I, you know, I used to work with him. I said, you, you were really organized and you were gifted at the details. Oh no. He said, no, it was all the Lord. It was all the Lord. And I said, well, that's true. But I mean, you know, you, you, you know, when you had to build that building and you had to, you had to superintend that project. And he said, no. And he started to tell stories about it. There was an old farmer in a field, and he was picking corn, and I just went up and talked to him, and he offered, the, 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 he offered to sell the property. It was all the Lord. He said, it was all the Lord. It was a heartwarming conversation. This is what John is saying. I'm nothing. He's everything. It's all the Lord. It's everything. If anything good, it's the Lord. I think the closer you get to the Lord, probably, the more likely you are to just say, if there's anything good you see here, it... It isn't me, it's the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? James Denny, a great Scottish pastor, said something that always humbled me. No man can bear witness to Christ and to himself at the same time. No man can give the impression that he himself is clever and that Christ is mighty to save. 
So the part that made me kind of laugh was thinking, if I baptize Jesus, I might be tempted to feature that on my resume. Ken, your humble servant who baptized Jesus. I mean, to be honest, for the rest of my life, I would probably kind of lead with that. Uh, I might want a framed picture of that feature prominently in my office. It's me when I baptize Jesus right there. Uh, just your humble servant. And, or I might want to put that on the front page of my website, me and, and, and Jesus, Ken and, and Jesus. Or I, or I might want to put it on my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. I might want a video of that on TikTok if I had TikTok, which I don't. But in the gospel of... <laughs> now you know a little bit more about me. But in the gospel of Luke, <laughs> in the gospel of Luke... Who baptized Jesus is just not even featured the way, it, the way it's written. It's in verse 21. I'm skipping ahead. Now when all the people were baptized, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, well, it left John's name completely out of it. Other places it says that, but here it doesn't even mention it. It's not important who baptized Jesus in Luke. It's not important who baptizes who at Bethel either. It's important who they're following and who that baptism pictures. Isn't that sweet? Something good about that. John, John was a, not about making savvy career moves. As a matter of fact, what he does next, as you can see, it says, verse 19, Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. It's kind of an aside here. John calls him out because he's creepy. He's a creepy, wicked, immoral politician. His wicked family eventually imploded upon itself and destroyed itself, and John didn't curry Herod's favor. John didn't ask for his endorsement. John didn't scurry around behind him and, and uh, try to get his support. John called out his sin publicly. John the Baptist. Interesting? And he was a bad guy. Antipas, Herod Antipas, his brother Philip was married to his niece, and Antipas fell in love with her. And she wanted to be married to a tetrarch. So she asked him to divorce his wife, and he did, and that caused a war, and and, and got his people wiped out. And people said, in in the record of the history of Josephus, people conjectured it might have happened because of the way he treated John the Baptist. That's not recorded here in Luke. It's just something to think about. There's a hint that this is one in a long list of wrongs for which Herod Antipas would one day have to give an account for God because, you know, all leaders have to give an account to God one day. And every man has to give an account to God one day. And each of us will. Even public officials are subject to judgment and wrath of God. Popular for people today to use a phrase, speaking truth to power. (laughs) Well, John did that. He was bold. He was faithful. This is really, and, and, and he preached the gospel. But you'll notice that he didn't just preach the gospel, but he taught the law and he had a prophetic voice. And in, today in the church, there are those who really think we ought to 
do what they call preaching the gospel, just say the good things and not have a prophetic voice, not call out sin or expose sin. But that wouldn't be the pattern of the scripture in the, in the people like John the Baptist that were called the greatest among men. They taught the law and preached the gospel. They had a prophetic voice and a gospel. They were gospel herods, uh, uh, heralds. Herod, in a backhanded way, testified. He gave witness to Jesus, too. We're, just, we're not going to call him a witness, but in a backhanded way he did because you're kind of known by your enemies. And this was a creepy guy that, that Jesus didn't want his endorsement, didn't need his endorsement. And so, anyway... There's a mercy offer to Antipas implied here. God didn't just vaporize him and judge him because of the bad things he did. He sent a prophet to tell him first what he did wrong, which implied if he had repented and turned from his sin, he could have been forgiven. So could you. Think about that. If today you hear my voice and you hear the mercy offer in the beautiful songs that we sang today, you too could run and just jump, run and jump at the foot of the cross, kneel at the foot of the cross and be forgiven and take your darkest sin and your saddest shame to the, to the cross today. And your story will read well from here on out. That'd be sweet if you think about that. And we all should be good at that. We all, we all should do that faithfully and regularly. Live with repentance on our lips. Herod could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't listen. He didn't repent. He'd be alive in the presence of God today if he had. So when we are confronted with our sin, let's repent quickly. If God sends us somebody who's faithful to call out our sin, we should listen to them. It's going to be hard and humiliating, but it's life-giving to just humble yourself and admit your sin. So there's the first witness, this wonderful example of a witness who was faithful and not, didn't try to be famous, but tried to be faithful, the witness of John the Baptist. And Jesus is baptized. You can see further accounts in the synoptics and in the book of Acts. Jesus is baptized to identify with sinners. He didn't need to repent of sin. He wasn't a sinner. But to identify with sinners, which is all, always what Jesus did, taking sin upon himself, he identified with us as sinners. He was baptized who fulfill all righteousness. The obvious implication to all of us is that if Jesus was baptized, we should each be baptized. Everyone should be baptized and follow Jesus. If you are not baptized, I, I just graciously call you to be baptized right away. Let us know today. We will baptize you. I had a dream last night. It's funny. I got to be careful saying things I wasn't planning to say, but I had a dream last night that a friend of mine, who I think is a guy named Mark, no Mark that's here, he lives in Ohio, and, and, and that he wasn't baptized. And I'm like, Mark, Mark, it's, you, need to, I, you need to get baptized right now. There's water right over there. Let's go. Come on. I was like, let's go. I thought you were baptized. Let's go. In my, in my, it's Mark Boucher. <laughs> it's kind of funny because now I'm, not, I'm just going down a rabbit hole. I might as well go on, on in. Mark Boucher was, is a sweet Christian guy, and he owned a home near our, where our church was, and we had some new converts that we wanted to baptize, and I didn't know where to baptize them because we had a Grange Hall with no baptistry, and Mark was a sensitive spiritual guy, and I was driving past this beautiful house that he was building, and I noticed that he was digging a swimming pool in his backyard, and I called him, and I said, Mark, I love the baptistry that you're making in your backyard, and he didn't miss a beat. He said, Pastor, I would be so thrilled to have people baptized. You remember that? 
And we baptize those people in Mark's backyard in his beautiful pool. And that's the Mark I dreamed about wasn't baptized. But, but, but some of you aren't. I love you. I can't tell you anything better than just do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus said. Be baptized right away. Second witness, John the Baptist is a witness. Second witness, the very heavens witness that Jesus is who he said he is. Listen to verse 21. And all the people were baptized. And when Jesus also had been baptized, he was praying. Imagine that. You're there. And like, Jesus, he's baptizing Jesus now. What's he doing? He's praying. And then what happens? I don't know what that looks like, but what does it look like when the heavens open and the Spirit takes a form and descends like a dove? What did that look like? I don't know. That must have been a spectacular thing to see. Jesus is being baptized and he's praying and suddenly the heavens open. The heavens witness. John is a witness that Jesus is the Son of God. And the heavens witness that Jesus is the Son of God. And you, 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 it was interesting. Once I went to a conference and Charles Stanley was preaching at the conference. And Charles Stanley, had, you, you, you know who Charles Stanley is, right? Really famous Baptist pastor. He's with the Lord now, but he ended up preaching on TV in every city in the world, literally. Anyway, he was a boy. He was a fatherless boy. Uh, and he, uh, he never knew his father. He's raised by, a mom, by his mom. And he always had this aching emptiness in his soul. If you hear him tell the story, it's a very powerful story. He always had this aching emptiness in his soul that he didn't have a dad. And one day he said, he was born in, he was living in Georgia in, in the South there. And he, he said one time he, as a boy, he was walking home from a meeting at night. And he prayed to God, God, I just need to know that you're real. I just need to know that you're real, God. And I'll follow you anywhere and I'll do anything, but I need to know you're real. And he said, when he prayed that prayer, he said, the heavens exploded with, uh, with like a meteor shower. Stanley, in his message, he said something like this, and it's almost a direct quote. He said, I serve a God who will move heaven and earth to make himself known to a fatherless boy. Sitting next to me, that day, was Steve Thompson, who was one of the sweetest men I know, and he was raised without a dad. And when he, Charles Stanley said that, Steve just began to weep. And we drove quietly home from that meeting, and Steve just says, I'll never forget that, I'll never forget that. Years later, I worked for the organization that brought Charles Stanley to speak, and I Many years later, and I called the AV guys, and I said, could you find me a CD, a copy of that message that Charles Stanley gave where he testified about God moving the heavens and the earth for a fatherless boy? I have a friend I'd like to gift it to. And those guys went to work and found me that old uh, video, and I gave a copy of it to Steve Thompson. I wish I could do for you today what we were able to do for Steve and what God did for Charles Stanley, and that was give you the assurance that God loves you so much that he'll open the heavens so that you will know that Jesus really is God and that he loves you. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and the Spirit descended. John, John was sent as a witness. The heavens were a witness. How sweet is that? The Holy Spirit was a witness. And, and, and God the Father was a witness. You have the whole Trinity involved here. 
This is one of the places in the Bible that teaches the idea of the Trinity, though the word isn't used in Scripture. Look at verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. It's identified because he calls Jesus his son, identified as the Father. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. This is an aside. I'm not trying to suggest that this is the purpose of the scripture here. It's not. But it is interesting that when God speaks to his son, he says, I love you and you please me. I've just always felt like it was important if you have a son or daughter to say, I love you and you please me. But anyway, God is testifying to who Jesus said. Jesus is the son of God. You have this powerful five-fold testimony. John the Baptist testifies who Jesus is. The heavens testify who Jesus is. The Spirit testifies who Jesus is. The heavens open and testify who Jesus is. The Father testifies who Jesus is. And then you have an interesting testimony. You have a family tree. You have a specifically curated and arranged family tree. Bible genealogies are always there for a purpose. And they're, they're, they're arranged for purpose. Sometimes they're for purposes of memorization. And, and, and sometimes they're for purposes of emphasis. As I studied this week, I noticed there are at least five purposes for the genealogy that follows from here to the end of the chapter. In Chatham, Ohio, south of Chatham is a little village in Ohio called Venata on State Route 661 north of Newark. And people are buried there. Kenneth is buried there, and, and two Grace Pierponts are buried there, and a Jerome Pierpont is buried there, and a William Pierpont, a Martha Pierpont, others Pierponts are buried there. We go there once in a while, somebody dies, and we go bury one of our family, my dad's side, there in Ohio, east of Columbus, north of Newark, in the village of Venata. You can just literally walk around and tell the stories of some of our people. Fascinating thing to do. We're walking around the graveyard of Jesus this morning. And you would recognize some of the names. They're, they're, they're famous names of people whose stories we cherish. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are in David is in this story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, others are in the story. It, all scripture is given by God and is profitable some of it seems more profitable than others. But if we find a part of the Bible that doesn't seem profitable to us, it's not the fault of the Scripture. It's our fault. We just didn't study it more carefully enough. So, Spirit of God, help us to see the value of this part of your word. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age and being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathet, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Janai, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of Eli, son of Nagai, son of Mahath, son of Mattathias, son of Simeon, son of Joseph, son of Jodah, son of Joan, son of Risha, Risa, son of Zerubbabel, Son of Sheltiel, son of Neri, son of Melchi, 
son of Adai, son of Kosum, son of Emladam, son of Ur, son of Joshua, son of Eliezer, son of Joram, son of Maphet, son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, the son of Joseph, son of Janum, Jonam, son of Eliakim, uh, son of Mela, son of Mena, son of Mattatha, son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, son of Selah, son of Nashon, Nahashon, son of Amminadab, son of Admin, son of Arnai, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, son of Terah, the son of Nahor, son of Zerag, son of Rehu, son of Peleg, son of Ebner, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of God. We've been walking through Jesus' graveyard. That's interesting. Why? 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 Can I suggest why the genealogy would be one? Genealogy emphasizes that Jesus is for all men. This particular genealogy goes, the Matthew genealogy goes to Abraham to emphasize his Jewishness, but this one goes back to Adam. And Luke emphasizes the gospel to the Gentiles. And so one of the reasons that this genealogy is given this way is probably so that we Gentiles would realize that we are included in the benefits of Christ if we trust in him. You notice the four phrases that are critical in this, son of David, son of God, son of Adam, and son of Abraham, not in that order. But this genealogy emphasizes Jesus is for all men. That's the amen part, amen. Second, this genealogy proves that it's actual historic reality. You can't just say, oh, they're telling us a myth, a fable. No, you don't tell of all the, all the, the uh, descendants of somebody in a fable like that. It's not at all what the scriptures are trying to do. The genealogy shows that Jesus is a son of David, a descendant of David. That's a big deal. It proves his historic reality. It proves that Jesus is for all men. This genealogy is a claim that Jesus is God that he's a descendant of David as a fulfillment of prophecy. That's the point Luke is making. The genealogy names him that way. And this is the main point. This is the claim of deity. We don't fully understand it, but looking on it nourishes our souls deeply. Some, some people have said Matthew's genealogy is the genealogy of Joseph with an emphasis on Jews. And some argue, and not all do, but some argue that Luke's genealogy is the genealogy from Mary and emphasizes Gentiles. Some of the smarter scholars, I kind of think, aren't sure about that. They'll say something like this, like it says clearly in the ESV study Bible. The most commonly accepted suggestion is that Matthew traces the line of royal succession, moving from David to Solomon, while Luke traces Joseph's actual physical descent, moving from David to Nathan, a little-known son mentioned in, and both lines converge at Joseph. Both of these genealogies emphasize that Jesus is the son of David, Luke further emphasizes the virgin birth. In that phrase, he was supposed to be the son of Joseph, because we know he wasn't the son uh, of Joseph, even though Joseph played an important place, and we wouldn't ever want to malign him in his role. Why did we have, why do we have this genealogy? 
in the rolling ages to come, greater men than I will explain that to you. But we know it is God's word. And we trust there are riches here that we don't even understand. And so we just pause and we read it today because it is God's word. And we trust that God's word. But we do know that, the, that Jesus is for all men because of the genealogy that Jesus is historic reality because of this genealogy that Jesus claim is, is the son of God. And it nourishes our souls deeply to think about that. Um, so we should turn our eyes upon Jesus like the old song says and look full in his wonderful face. Therefore, having this ministry, Paul wrote at one point in the Corinthian letter, in the second Corinthian letter, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart because we've seen Jesus in the glory of the gospel. It, we don't lose heart. When bad things happen to us because we've seen Jesus, we don't lose heart. When people misunderstand us, we don't lose heart because we've seen Jesus. When things are taken away from us, he's not, so we don't lose heart. When our life just seems like all work, all we do is work, and where are we getting? It's like, but we, we, have, we have a picture, we have Jesus in our vision. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart, but we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we've refused to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You don't love that? I like how bold and straightforward Paul can say, it's like, Jesus is God, and I don't have to trick you. I don't have to sell you. All I have to do is present him who he is boldly and appeal to your conscience. I love that. And if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. We don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that's why we, we see something of Jesus in this and there's a glory in it. There's a fourth reason that I see that why the genealogy is because it reminds us that like John, our calling is not to be famous, but to be faithful. Most of the people... We don't even know who they are. But they had to be there. They had to live their faithfulness. But we don't even know who they are. We don't know their story. God knows, but we don't know their story. We've walked through the family graveyard of Jesus this morning, and few are well known. Most are ordinary, but every life has a story, and every soul matters to God, and you have a story, and you matter to God. And he knows you're here, and he cares about you, and he loves you. He sent his son to die. For the sin of everyone who'd receive him, every man, every woman has a faithfulness to perform, even if it's anonymous and ordinary. We don't need to be famous, but we need to be faithful. So something comforting in that to you, it is to me. Exhausting, try to make a big deal out of yourself. And once in a while, I think, I, I feel that like, wait a minute. Isn't my job to make sure I get my piece of the pie? Isn't my job to see I get my due? Is it my job to get attention? My God, job to give attention to Jesus. And God is so faithful to me, and just to give you a little autobiographical bit here, that every once in a while, he'll just allow me to be very humbled. And I'm reminded, well, it wasn't about me, right? It was about Jesus. So we'll just serve him and let him decide. And that's, that's probably good. <laughs> we don't have to be something because he is everything. We can be ordinary. God's work on earth will be done by mostly 
ordinary anonymous men and women who were not famous. Uh, I like that. So there you have it. John testified to who Jesus is. The heavens testified to who Jesus is. The Spirit testified to who Jesus is. The Father testified to who Jesus is. His ancestry testified to who Jesus is. And even his enemies, like Herod, testified. And next week we'll see Satan himself will call him the Son of God next week. In a backhanded way, everyone will testify that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father on their knees. Will you, will you be a star witness? Will you testify to the all-satisfying beauty of Jesus? God will call upon you to testify, maybe to your grandkids. Maybe when they need it so much. Maybe to some of these precious young people on the platform who testified to us today of their trusting in the Lord. Someone denied that Jesus was God. You would argue with him, wouldn't you? If somebody came to your door and said, Jesus isn't God, you'd, you would argue with him, right? Yeah, you would you'd have a little, no, no, that's not true. Jesus is God. Uh, I know you would. But the real issue is not who will you argue with, but how do you live? How do you really live your life? You live as a star witness commending God to the world. That's, that's a better question. Because you were designed by God to think deeply and long about who Jesus is. And, and we were designed by God to cultivate a deep soul affection for him. And we were designed by God to subordinate all of the other stuff and submit all of our other loves to his great love and to use the other things that we have in our life to give honor to him. I was at Moody. John MacArthur came. He was a young guy at the time. I was a kid. He was really, John MacArthur, who's like ancient now, was a really young guy. He came to Moody, and he talked about a kid who loved soccer and was really, really good at soccer. And this kid came to MacArthur and said to him, is it God's will that I play soccer? And MacArthur just took him to the word and said, make much, basically said, make everything of Jesus, and he will give you soccer back. If, if, you, if he wants you to play soccer to the glory of God, he'll give you your soccer, and you'll use your soccer for the glory of God. And it was just so interesting to hear as a young guy, I was 18, listening to that and thinking, yes, to make Jesus everything and all the other stuff that's delightful to me that I like. If he wants me to have it, if it's a part of my life, he'll put it in my life. And if he decides to take it, then as long as I have him, it doesn't matter what he takes. How sweet is that? We're designed by God to be a prophetic voice like John. And we were designed by God to be a gospel herald like John. And we were designed by God to have Jesus at the very center of our life and to be our essential identity. Who are you? Don't call yourself, well, or once we hear somebody say, well, I'm an abuse survivor. Not essentially, you're not. I'm sorry you're abused. But essentially, you are a child of the living God. I know maybe today you're a widow, but not essentially. You're God's child today. <laughs> John said, the apostle said, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be is not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Jeremy Burroughs said, a deformed man may see a beautiful object in that sight will not make him like that beautiful object, but the sight of God will make his soul glorious like God is glorious. 
And this is the heart of faithfulness. And this is the heart of joy. And this is the heart of satisfaction and beholding the glory of who Jesus is. So welcome to kindergarten and beholding God's glory. Let's all, let's all join the school and grow in this. And, uh,